Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here you go. Here you go. Lamentable. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It's Monday, April 3rd, 2023. The word of the day is lamentable, as in how I feel about what happened in the final of the NCAA women's tournament yesterday. It is the talk of sports for all the wrong reasons. We should be talking about right now about the quality of play, about what an unbelievable story it is that LSU came together with basically all new players and won a championship, the first championship in the history of LSU, men's or women's, and that includes Shaquille O'Neal playing at LSU. We should be talking about Caitlin Clark and the fact that she's got the same range as Steph Curry. We should be talking about the quality of what happened on the court. And I am lamenting the fact that first, what we're talking about is how bad the referees were. And the referees were bad for LSU. They were bad for Iowa. They were overmatched. They did not rise to the moment. It was a disappointing performance. And on top of that, it had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. Refereeing was equally bad. People were throwing around conspiracy theories, Tim Donahue, they were pro LSU or pro Iowa. No, they were just pro being bad. And that became a huge focus as people were being drawn to watch as they should have been because of what was happening on the court. So I'm watching the game and let me give you two truths. The first one is that I had not watched one game in the tournament prior to that. Second truth, I gotta give you more than two truths. That was an incorrect number. Second truth, I had not watched any previous Final Four or championship game. I am the dream for the NCAA and for women's basketball. There is a chance for me to become a convert, a first time watcher. And I am blown away at the quality, I'm so excited. I don't know the backstory of the coach who had been at Baylor. I don't know the road that Iowa took to get there. I didn't see them beat South Carolina and how insane it was that they did, none of it. The second truth is that I'm watching the game at the end. LSU is going to win. I have been listening the entire broadcast learning as much as I can through the sideline reporter, through the announcers about the different players. And I see Angel Reese, whether it's at midcourt or at the free throw line, there's a dispute between me and Coke as to where I first saw it. But I'm telling you, I first saw it when they were at the free throw line. And Angel Reese put her hands, hand in front of her face and covered it like I am now, if you're watching live on Nothing Personal. And then was pointing to her ring fingers saying, we're getting a ring. 
And my initial reaction was, that's awesome. But is that too much? My reaction was not based on Angel Reese being black and Caitlin Clark being white. My reaction was not based on whether or not it was proper sportsmanship due to cultural differences. My reaction was as a president of a major sports team or as an athletic director or as someone who's involved in sports, what is my view of that moment? And the reason I did not go on Twitter and immediately run with a take the way other people did where race became the issue, the reason I didn't do that is I didn't have context number one and I wanted to take a breath so I could get my thoughts together about what I was seeing. Thinking back to what players I've known have done when they've won championships. Thinking about what it means to win when no one thought you could or that you would. Didn't know that Caitlin Clark previous games had done the exact same facial, the same gesture. They're calling it uh, the John Senna gesture, which I'm not at all sure why, but let's just pretend that he came up with it. So I didn't know that she had, oh, Cena, sorry. I did not know that she had done it earlier in the tournament. The pointing at your ring finger, the having cell phones on the stage after you've won and taping yourself and doing selfies where your tongue is out, all of those things that I could find objectionable, that's because of age. That is the reality of celebrations now, and I'm good. You wanna celebrate that way, you wanna point to your ring finger, you wanna gloat, you wanna trash talk. I'm an aficionado of trash talking. I've made a living because covering up my physical deficiencies through trash talking, 100% of the time, I get it. Query, is trash talking effective once the game is over, or is it more effective the way Jordan would do it where it starts before the game has even started? What is the role of trash talking to get to your ultimate goal, which is winning a game or a title? All for a different day. Instead, what people were doing and why I, it is lamentable that they were doing it, is they took this opportunity to further the cultural divide, to further the racial divide, to show that any progress that any of us think that any of us have made in this area has actually not happened. People asking, well, if Angel were white, would she have done it? And if she had done it, would people have cared? If Caitlin were black, would she have done it? And if she would have done it, would people have cared? That's not the conversation. The conversation to me is based on the reaction of people, both black and white, to what took place. From a sports standpoint, I have no issue with any of it. As a matter of fact, I encourage it. From a racial standpoint, I have issue with all of the reaction. Explain to me why your reaction, just out of curiosity, is based on the color of the person who's doing the action. Explain to me why Angel Reese has to take the podium post-game 
and say to you, if you all want to make me the face of this culture or think that I'm a hoodlum or whatever you wanna say, that's your business, that's not what I was doing in the moment. If you think it's necessary for Caitlin Clark to come out and do a tweet to explain her position and to compliment and congratulate LSU, why is it that Caitlin Clark is the face of the white player and Angel Reese is the face of the black player. And then on top of that, you make them the face of the actual color, not player, color. These are young people playing a sport in a pressure packed situation in front of millions of people. The whole premise of a previous show was live and let live. Why do we have to assume then when people celebrate in a certain way that it has racial undertones? Those concepts do not follow at all. And if you're running NCAA women's basketball, if you are, I kept thinking about Megan Rapino. I kept thinking about the quest that she's been on through the courts and through speeches and her, it's become her raison d'etre, her reason to live, her reason to be, is for gender equality and pay equality. And that NCAA final game in the women's final four was a great step forward for networks, because that's who she's talking to, for sponsors, because that's who she's talking to, to embrace a sport that is equally as entertaining, equally as thrilling, and the quality of the athlete is equally as good. I'm not saying that Caitlin Clark could play in the NBA, but with that jump shot, I'm not so sure she couldn't. But the equal, the equality that is being sought after, we were right there. And now all anyone's talking about is the referee, and everyone's talking about what happened between Reese and Clark after the game, not the amazing, amazing battles. Do you remember, and Coca was talking to me about this, it was only, I think the last time we did a segment about the women's basketball team, which is more reflection of me than it is of you, the audience. I think it was two years ago or three years ago, whenever it was, that there were the facilities for the women in their tournament were so bad. I don't know if anyone remembers that. There was a picture of like, uh, Coco, where was it? In, um, uh, yes, in, in Indianapolis. Do you remember when they had to go where their food was and where their gym was and they had like four pieces of equipment and the men had this amazing workout facility and we were talking about the equality and then the statement was, well, no one's watching them or well, no one goes to the games. Do you remember this year it may have come up where the women were playing sports inside like a conference room in Vegas and they all said, no, we're not doing that. So this narrative of equality, both gender equality on the, on the court and off, we're this close to being done with it. And then this happens. Now, what are sponsors doing? What are broadcasters doing? They're gonna have to get through it. And if I'm running the NCA, I'm gonna help them get through it because I'm gonna point out 
and I'm going to try to focus and say it's just Twitter. I'm going to try to say this is not a reflection of the general country having these views. And then I'm going to say that I'm lying. Because what played out on Twitter is exactly what's going on generally in the country. Whether you're talking about Republican, Democrat, whether you're talking about black, white, whether you're talking about Asian, white, black, it doesn't matter. All encapsulated in one fine moment in the women's final game is where we have to get better. And what I'm lamenting is that it happened during a women's game when we were this close to getting what the equality that they deserve and should have. And I'm lamenting the fact that it's still happening. I guess we can hope that tomorrow's sunrise brings a different narrative. I guess we can hope that eventually as generations pass, people will begin to normalize differences that we have and not use it as an excuse or a launching point or put people in a position where they're the face of something that they don't deserve or need to be the face of. Maybe it'll happen tomorrow. In the meantime, to not congratulate Iowa on an incredible season is wrong of you. To not congratulate LSU on winning the championship, on scoring the most points ever scored in the NCAA in a women's finals game, to beating the, uh, as an underdog, winning the tournament 102.85, to understand and appreciate what you got to watch, just take a minute and be thankful so we don't have to spend our entire day constantly lamenting. Let's talk about the NBA. Speaking of lamenting, do you know what's great about collective bargaining agreements is that you always have players or owners who chirp behind the scenes after a deal gets done saying, oh, that deal's not good enough. Shouldn't have done that deal. I like that. Draymond Green already is saying that he doesn't like the new CBA. The new CBA that we told you that was going to happen happened Friday night. Sorry, four, six, nine. The new CBA in the NBA happened as we told you it would Saturday morning around 3 a.m. The deadline was Friday at 11.59. That was the deadline not where the CBA was going to expire. That was the deadline after which both parties in the CBA could no longer opt out of the remaining years of the CBA. There have been negotiations ongoing, and I told you that the opt-out is being used as a sword, not a shield. Meaning both sides are saying to the other, if you don't do what we want, we're going to opt out, and then we're gonna have a problem. We could have an MLB-sized lockout, or worse, an NBA-sized lockout. On December 12th of 2022, we had a wait to see where we tell you something's gonna happen and we'll revisit it either way. In this case, we got it right, where we said back in December that no one will opt out on March 31st. Both sides will come to an agreement and they did. And the agreement, like every CBA, has certain things that are liked by owners, certain things that are liked by players, and then a percentage that is okay by both. A couple of things to mention in this CBA other than Draymond Green being pissed off. Number one, not the most important, but getting a lot of attention is that their view of curing load management is that you can't win postseason awards 
if you don't play 65 out of the 82 games. Okay. Here is the impact that will have on load management. Wait for it. A donut. Zero. Yes, Kawhi Leonard will wake up next year on a random Wednesday and say, oh my God, I can't sit out more than 17 games or I'm not going to win MVP. Give me a break. But that's the only compromise because the players like the idea of getting paid a full year's salary, not for playing a full year. The owners don't want players to get hurt and the players say, if we keep playing this much, we're gonna get hurt. The owners aren't willing to shorten the regular season. They're not willing to spread it out so there's more off days because the broadcast networks won't and they're going out to sell to broadcasters a new deal. So their big solution to say that they've each dealt with the issue of regular season games not mattering, number one, of people buying tickets and then having no one play. Did you see yesterday's Portland Trailblazers game? The biggest upset, tied for the biggest upset in the history of the NBA or something, they were 19 and a half point underdogs to the Minnesota Timberwolves because Coca and Sampson were the starting for the Portland Trailblazers and they came back to win the game. Great. I wanted to see Damian Lillard and I saw Samson. So they took care of load management. What's the next thing that you try to take care of in a CBA? It puts a little, I love it. It makes my heart sing. You're trying to take care of the outliers. You're trying to deal with the Golden State Warriors and Lake Obe and their, their ownership group and Balmer and their ownership group and the Clippers the guys who spend with reckless abandon, reckless indifference, as though it doesn't matter because one team has all the revenue warriors and one team has all the, the money, bomber. So they came up with the system and MLB is so happy today because we like being the leaders in things on the bargaining side. We like being the leaders in everything. We're sick of playing second fiddle to the NFL, but we're hoping to surpass and keep our distance from the NBA. So the NBA came up with the Steve Cohen tax, except I'm calling it the Steve Ballmer tax. And the reason I'm calling it the Steve Ballmer tax, not the Steve Cohen tax, is that there's a second level of salary cap. What is the word? Ah, it's not a bonus. It is a, it's when you violate salary cap violation, except that's not really what we're going to call it. It's a upper limit like the Steve Cohn limit, which is $293 million. The limit where they thought no one would go in baseball and surprise, surprise, the Mets did. Well, now the NBA has one. They're calling it the upper apron, whereas you can't go buy that. And if you do, then you are gonna have penalties. I like that. The penalties are that you're not allowed to send cash in a deal to anybody. That's a great penalty because the richest teams, this is also from MLB, what do the Dodgers do? They would send cash to teams to help pay for players. We took cash from the Dodgers all the time. Well, if you're not allowed to do it, that means you're not allowed to get another team's best players because we would send our good prospects in order to get players back who could help us now and have the Dodgers pay for them. That's number one. The inability to trade first round picks years out. I like that. The inability to sign mid-level exceptions. I like that. But what will it actually do? Does it mean the Clippers and the Warriors are gonna lower their payroll? Where's the teeth? Or as Claire would say, where's the beef? 
You can't get it because players do not want anything that will curb the spending of the richest owners and of the highest spending owners. They don't want it. Owners want to curb the spending of their competitive teams because they don't want to keep looking so bad. Why do you think MLB is fighting, the owners are fighting the way they are? Because owners of teams with low payrolls don't want to look at teams with big payrolls who are winning. It makes them look bad and feel badly on top of that. Other things that came out of the CBA, get ready. It's the World Baseball Classic. Oh no, sorry. It's the World Cup of the NBA. Well, no, not exactly. It's a mid-season tournament where everyone still plays for the teams that are on, but they call it a tournament and then they give 500 grand to each player who wins. <laughs> That's really close. Can you imagine the in-season tournament next year? Basically, it's like um, pool play, which are just count as regular season games. Then it goes into a single elimination quarterfinals. Does it sound familiar? Like the WBC or the World Cup. So single elimination quarterfinals. And then the final four, if you will, they're gonna put that in a, in a separate place, which is great. But the players said, if you do it, you better do it in Vegas, because we like going there in the all-star break anyway. So do it in Vegas. We'll get paid for it, we'll broadcast it, and more people will watch it because it's single elimination. That's really Silver's dream. It's Silver's solution. He thinks it will draw interest. What makes the World Baseball Classic and the World Cup so exciting to you? Just by a show of hands. If you had to give me the top two reasons that makes it exciting, let me answer for you. Or let me answer for me. Number one. Single elimination. I love that. Win or go home. That's exciting. Number two, people playing together who don't usually play together. People facing each other who don't usually face each other. Isn't that the excitement of the tournaments? If I read this wrong, I will do an apology on tomorrow's show, but it is my complete and utter 100% understanding that the teams playing in the midseason tournament are the teams who play in the regular season games. The exact same teams. What the hell's the fun of that? How are you getting buy-in from anyone? Fans, players, broadcasters, oh, I get it. 500 grand per player. All right, that'll play. Not. Next thing in the CBA that we have to point out. This is a business point. Maybe we'll talk about it with Skipper on the next podcast we do, maybe not. One thing that players want, have you heard LeBron James talk or Michael Jordan talk or Derek Jeter talk? They wanna be owners. As much as they criticize owners and criticize management, it is interesting to me that players want to be management. They want to be owners. Why? Because the lifespan of an owner is greater than the lifespan of a player. I don't mean their time on earth breathing. I mean their time where they can earn money or effectuate change or make a difference or win, etc. The NBA, along with every other team, has had rules that NBA players or players in a league cannot own the team on which they play or any other team. If you remember, that goes back to 20 years ago, maybe it's more, when Mario Lemieux 
wanted a piece of the team because his team went bankrupt and he was a creditor of the team. It goes back to baseball teams going to the commissioner and saying, we want to sign our free agent. Why don't we give him a piece of the team? And it was always disallowed. Now it's going to be allowed. NBA players are going to be allowed to invest in NBA teams. They're going to be allowed to invest in WNBA teams, but not really. Here's the little caveat that was not really publicized. The way NBA players will be able to access ownership of an NBA team is through a third-party private equity firm who will and a private equity fund that will make investments in teams. That made me smile because that's like buying a uh, a mutual fund and inside the mutual fund, they own shares of McDonald's and you walking into McDonald's and saying, I own this roll of buns. It's not the type of ownership that players actually want. Now you're just having players decide with all of their millions, is that private equity firm, is that fund giving the rate of return that other funds do investing in other sectors, in other industries. So while the players may view that as a give, it's not because owners are only too happy to have private equity funds investing in their teams because they're silent investors who just pour cash in and then are not involved in owners meetings. They're not involved in player personnel decisions. They're not involved in anything, which is not exactly what the players wanted. So this is all part of the compromise. And the final thing that got the deal done is that NBA players can smoke the Mary Jane and it won't be tested. Welcome to the world, guys. NBA players have been getting high for as long as MLB players. It's before games, during games, after games. Stop testing for it. It's done. It's legal almost everywhere. Throw in. The owners did not use that as a big give. They didn't exactly get anything back for it. The players didn't fight for it. It's just one of the things that makes sense now in new CBAs. Don't test employees for marijuana. We're past that. So that's it. There was one more little thing, Coca, which we which deserves a longer segment, which is the, the one and done situation. One and done, which is going to stay in place. There was some talk of lowering the age but it is very dangerous to have young kids playing in the NBA. We have it in soccer where there are young kids playing professional soccer. I, I, I cannot tell you enough having been inside a clubhouse. It is very difficult for teenagers to be a part of that life. It's like being a child actor. It is extremely difficult to have the type of maturity required to be a professional player. It's hard enough at 19. It's hard enough at, and even more so at 18. The reason why the players did not want to lower the age and why they gave up and why it was okay is that part of the union is made up of older players and the younger players take the jobs of the older players. So the older players don't want it. This happened in baseball all the time when we were talking about minimum salaries. The older players actually were not in favor of increasing the minimum because it was the young players who got the minimum. And if the minimum goes up, that means your payroll goes up by two or three million dollars just from the increase in the minimum and the number of minimum players you have. And the owners are not going to increase their payroll by three million. They're going to take three million away from a mid-level older player 
That's why you see so many players without jobs or have to sign minor league deals who would have made three, four, five, six million in the past who now are not. So when unions are negotiating, they answer to a lot of different factions, as do the commissioner's office, because owners are owning teams in low markets and low, low revenue markets and high revenue markets. It's hard work, but the NBA got it done. There is a new CBA. We don't have to worry about any labor issues for six years. It's a seven-year deal, but there's an opt-out after six. So six years, hell yeah. All right, Coca, when we come back, we're gonna review the new Woody Harrelson movie, and then we're gonna give you some more observations about what happened in the first weekend of Major League Baseball. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. Matthew Koch and I come to you every day, whether it's Passover, Easter, anything when we're not away, but it's pretty much every day. Thank you for rating, reviewing. If you're live watching this, we're live every day at 8 a.m. on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe and keep listening to it as well. All right, let's talk about a movie I watched. It just came out, although I have no idea whether it just came out on the screen, but it just came out where I bought it or rented it on Amazon. It's called Champions with Woody Harrelson. And I wanted to spend a minute about this. The movie is about a redemption required coach. Ever heard of this? Where a coach gets fired from his job. Ernie Hudson, his best friend, has to fire him as an assistant coach because he thinks he's greater than he is. And then he's down and out and then he 
commits a crime or whatever he does and he has to do rehab and community service and the community services go into the community and coach a bunch of kids Sometimes it's the bad news bears. Sometimes it's kids with physical disabilities, intellectual disabilities. This was Woody Harrelson coached a team of people with intellectual disabilities. And they did all the tropes in this movie. And it's directed by one of my favorite men, Bobby Farrelly, who I'm lucky enough to know. So Bobby, just hear me out on this review. The movie itself, it got me emotional but it was so predictable. The coach comes in, he's not happy to be there, doesn't know anyone's name, waiting for 90 days of community service to pass, and he ends up falling in love with a local girl who's related to one of the players. He ends up being happy with the players and having a relationship with the players. He ends up being able to take the players on a trip because he extorted someone who had made fun of or had mistreated these people with intellectual disabilities. And what bothered me most about the movie is that why can't we, like with other things, normalize people with intellectual disabilities? Why do we have to make it so they're like a sideshow at a circus? Why can't we accept them, live and let live, accept them for who they are, instead of having to put in the movie little snippets of how they try to live a normal life without giving us an opportunity to actually know or care about the characters? Why do they try to make it emotional based on the fact that there are people with the disabilities when it could be emotional based on the fact that they're an underdog team trying to win something? Why do coaches have to give the speech from the detective on the Wolf of Wall Street, from the FBI agent on the Wolf of Wall Street, whose name escapes me but gave a great speech, or any of the great speeches that coaches have had to make, Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, I could continue. You gotta have that speech in the movie, and Woody Harrelson's speech about champions, eh, it was only okay. So at the end of the day, if you are looking for a sports movie that inspires you, champions, is not even in the top 10 of inspiring sports movies. Was it perfect for a Sunday afternoon prior to watching sports? Did I smile? Did I maybe have a little bit of welling? No flowing, but a little bit of welling? I did. Champions. Speaking of champions, we're underway. MLB had its first of 26 weekends. It used to be 26, Coke. I haven't counted. 13 away weekends, 13 home weekends was the season. That's how I always did the math. That's how I knew how many weekends I'd be away from home, how many weekends that I'd be working while at home. Basically, it's how many weekends in a row that I'd be at games. First weekend passed. And on Friday or Thursday, I can't remember which, we did a bunch of observations. Let me give you some observations from the first weekend. Number one, CB Buckner's the worst umpire in baseball. Did you look at him behind the plate? It's beyond comprehension. There is going to be a replay system for balls and strikes by 2025. It's not gonna be robots behind the plate. They're not getting rid of the home plate umpire, but there is going to be some sort of challenge system, some sort of button in the ear of umpires that will make them change a call, that will allow teams to argue a call the balls and strikes, the misses from different umpires, especially C.B. Buckner, are simply staggering and inexcusable in today's world. Inexcusable.
Another one is that uh, the Marlins offense needs some help and Jazz Chisholm can't play center. Another one is that Philadelphia hasn't won a game. The Texas Rangers swept the Philadelphia Phillies. The Texas Rangers have an offense that's quite good, but they also won a very close game last night. If you had the Phillies as one of the three winless teams after a weekend on your bingo card, then you're a hell of a lot smarter than I. If you had the Royals and the Tigers as winless teams, that's a Tuesday. But the Phillies are not as bad as they're playing. The fact that Harper's not playing, not relevant. The fact that Hoskins got hurt, not relevant. They're not going to lose 162 games. I promise you that. Can you imagine the second thing that I'm about to tell you about the weekend? I told you that we had to wait a year. That was my statement. We got to wait a year to see about the rule changes. We have to look back and study. We're going to have to convene committees and meetings. After a weekend of play, I cannot believe how angry and jealous I am that for 18 years I got home at midnight on weeknights after games, exhausted, ready to come back the next morning, and now games are two hours and 20 minutes every day. Damn it. Where were these changes before? So we got games every day, and we got teams that are not playing well, but just remember, if it's your team, don't get too excited and don't get too downtrodden. It's only been a weekend. It doesn't matter. Okay. I think the Phillies have to win a game, right? They have to. I'm going to do nothing personal pick of the day. I'm going to have the Phillies beating the Yankees today. That's my pick. The Phillies are not going to go 0-4 to start the season. The Yankees, Aaron Judge already has two home runs. Did you see my man Giancarlo Stanton's home run yesterday? 485 feet. That sound, it, it's been, here's the players with the Stanton sound, and it's not even Judge. The Stanton sound has been McGuire that I've seen up close and personal. Mark McGuire, spring training. Vladimir Guerrero. Miguel Cabrera, Hanley Ramirez, and Giancarlo Stanton. That's it. Those are the only people where you're sitting there eating lunch on the balcony and you hear a sound and you duck for cover and say, we're not buying any more glass tables. We're going to make them wire. I'm going to take the Phillies over the Yankees. It's Walker's first start in a Phillies uniform against nasty Nestor Cortez. The fact that the Phillies have given up 27 runs in the first two games, not relevant. Phillies over the Yankees. The other game for my pick of the day today is that it's the NCAA Men's Championship. I do not see how the game could be as compelling as the women's game yesterday. I do not see a scenario that Connecticut does not win this game. So I'm taking Connecticut and I'm going to lay the points because I don't believe you will have another Butler type and I don't mean Butler the team, I mean Butler the player in the final four. That shot to win the game for SDSU was incredible. I do not see that type of game tonight. Connecticut seven and a half over SDSU. Granted, my weekend stunk. 0-3. The Dodgers did not beat the Diamondbacks on Friday. San Diego State did not cover against FAU. They won it at the last second. And Miami did not cover against Connecticut. Other than that, it was an outstanding weekend of picks.
I'm 44 and 48. Those are my picks today. Connecticut over SDSU, Phillies over Yankees. What do you think Graham Potter's doing today? I've been meaning to think about that. I think he's looking at his watch right now. It's right now 137 Greenwich Mean Time. By the way, thanks for the correction. You know we're live, and you know that I have no prompter, speaking off the top of my head, a rundown of topics, but that's it. And when I make a mistake, sometimes Coca corrects it during the show. Sometimes you correct it after the show. Give me corrections. I'll take them. I'll live with them. I'm good. I said Greenwich median time. I have no idea why I said that. It's Greenwich mean time. So for those who heard it and knew I was wrong, thank you. For those of you who heard it and thought I was right, now you know what it's really called. Greenwich mean time. So it's 1.30 Greenwich mean time right now, 1.38. And I wonder what Graham Potter's doing. He's the manager of Chelsea. When you get sacked, fired, let go, dismissed, allowed to resign the second before you're about to get fired, the day after it happens, the people come in and clean your stuff out. Boxes get sent. You wake up, you have this sense of relief. That's the sense that happens before the sense of disappointment and anger. The relief is that I don't have to speak to Todd Bowley ever again. I don't have to listen to him come into the clubhouse or go after a game, before a game, to the media and 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 speak all the idiocies that he speaks about the team. I'm released. Graham Potter only lasted seven months with Chelsea and Chelsea, they've been a disaster. Now, Todd Bowley has spent money. There's no question about that. Extremely active in the transfer windows. But what has it done for the team? Nothing, because you can't throw together a bunch of players in soccer, put them on the same team and say, all right, we're good. It would be like a national team never having played together and just going to the WBC to play. It's hard to do. It's hard in baseball with World Baseball Classic when they only get a few practices and a few exhibition games. But baseball is a sport where it can actually be easier to be individuals put together on a team. Soccer, you actually have to be a team. What's my issue with what Chelsea did? My issue is the way they announced it. They gave a quote, which is the baseball equivalent of whenever you fire a manager, basketball, football, they've got it down pat, copy paste. On behalf of everyone at the club, we wanna thank Graham sincerely for his contribution to Chelsea. What contribution? You're sacking him after seven months because you're in the middle to bottom of the table. And then you've gotta, of course, talk about his family, don't you? But they didn't. All they said is we have the highest degree of respect for Graham as a coach and as a person. He's always conducted himself with professionalism and integrity, and we're all disappointed in this outcome. I wonder whether Graham Potter walked in and said, you know what, I should be fired. It's been very disappointing. The fact that you guys signed a bunch of players and don't tell me and spend all this money and then expect me to put it together after I only got here seven months ago, let's not talk about that. It's such a bunch of horse hockey. I don't know if Graham has a family or not, but mostly after that sense, you would then thank the family. But then Chelsea did something that defies comprehension. They had a source who went to ESPN because this is a team source, I assure you. And the source said the decision to remove Graham Potter 
was made by the club sporting directors and the backing of the board, no mention of Todd Bowley. That's not how it works, folks. The way it works is Todd Bowley says to the board, we're getting rid of our manager, I've had enough. Todd Bowley says to the GM, which they call there the sporting directors, we've had enough. I'm firing him. Try to convince me otherwise. Talk me out of it. You think that the sporting directors, here's a little nugget. If my GM came up to me after seven months of a manager and said, you know what, we got to make a change, I'd fire the GM, not the manager. The GM's job is to put a system in place that includes a manager and to let that system come together through the signing of players, through the melding of a team concept and building a sustainable winning team. If you change course every seven months, yes, I'm guilty. If you change course every seven months, you will not win. If you are a Chelsea supporter and you are happy with what has taken place, then you are misguided. This does not bode well for Chelsea. This doesn't mean that Todd Bowley is getting over his new owner-itis. This means that Todd Bowley continues to not know how to run a team. And then you put it on the sporting directors, which should give you less confidence in their ability. It's laughable. They went up to Graham Potter and said, listen, you're, you're, you're not having fun. Our team sucks. You're owed so much money. Any chance that we can pay you not to work? And Graham Potter said, yeah. You don't even have to pay me my full contract. Just give me like 80% of what you owe me, and then I'm going to go double dip and get another job somewhere else. Meanwhile, this team, which is 11th on the table, they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars. No one's even close. They stink, and they're firing their manager. Boy, that'll do it. This will be like if the Padres don't win this year or the Mets don't win this year and they decide to fire Showalter or fire Melvin. Like they're the ones to blame for putting the team together the way the team was put together. Just stop it. Graham Potter out at Chelsea. But we want to thank you so much. You're so professional. We love you. Don't you think that GMs are trying to put together the best possible team that they can? Don't you think that owners are actually thinking they're doing well, even though they're not? It's so hard to learn how to be a good owner. It's hard to be a good GM. If you are deciding how you value players, how you put together a team, you have to understand your sport. You have to understand personalities. One of the biggest issues when Todd Bowley was deciding whether or not to buy Chelsea, remember when everybody was flying over there to meet with supporters and figuring out what to do, telling them it was going to be okay, we're going to listen to fans, it's going to be totally fine. It turns out that fans of, the, of football overseas, fans of baseball here, we're pretty much all the same. We just want you to be honest with us. We want you to try within the best means possible to put the best players on the pitch or on the field. But what we really want above all is just win. But over in Europe, 
they care a hell of a lot more about winning. They also care about integrity and principle. You don't lie to fans. In the US, we lie to fans all the time. We take it totally for granted, like you're not paying attention. It's a little different there, Todd. Everybody's paying attention. Haven't you watched Ted Lasso? All those people in the pub, they're paying attention. Ironically, for all of them, it's extremely personal. For me, it's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing personal.